listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. Love Redeeming's work is done. Fought the fight, the battle's won. Death Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ hath opened paradise. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It is a glorious morning. Um, it started off very glorious and a little chilly um, down um, behind Reddy's at the sunrise. But it is such an exciting morning for us. And I, I hope and I pray that um, we can live this day um, in such a sense of awe and amazement and great joy. Um, for what our Savior has accomplished for us on the cross with his death, and as we celebrate this morning, his resurrection. Um, It is the high point, if you will, it seems like in our Christian lives on this this Easter Sunday morning, but it is something that we should live in light of each and every day of our lives. And this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, um, verses 1 through 15. So this is Matthew's account of the resurrection And what you'll see in this um, is a lot of emotion and a lot of different responses um, and just the awesome and mighty work of our gods. And so I would ask you, if you're able to please stand um, (coughs) for the reading of God's word this morning from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records these words for us. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he says. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some men of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him, Away while we were asleep. 
And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. <laughs> Lord, I just thank you for the, the glories of Easter Sunday morning. Lord, and how it is, stands right in front of our faces. Perhaps clearer today than other Sundays, but Lord, it shouldn't be that way. Lord, I pray now as we spend time reflecting on and learning from, from you and your word on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, that our hearts would be moved and we would be transformed by the beauty and the power of the cross and the beauty and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. So what Matthew does for us here is he gives us a pretty a pretty orderly account of the events of the resurrection. And so we'll tackle this in two chunks, verses 1 through 10, and then verses 11 through 15. Right? Verses 1 through 10, if you're a note taker, um, it's the resurrection of Jesus. That's pretty simple. Um, verses 11 through 15, you can, head, you can call that the ruse. All right, and I'll unpack that. But what we have this morning in these first 10 verses is such power and such beauty. It was early on a Sunday morning. Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary, and there were other women with them, but these two are mentioned specifically by Matthew. They're returning to the tomb with spices to anoint Jesus. You see, when Jesus had been buried on Friday before sundown, they had to hurry because they were preparing for the Sabbath. And so they wanted to go back and anoint the body of Jesus. Now they knew where the tomb was because they had been there watching three days earlier while Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were putting Jesus into this tomb. And as they were there, we get this very attention-grabbing word in verse 2, Behold. And you'll notice that there are several of them in our text this morning. But the earth shook because an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven. And the stone that was in front of the tomb had been rolled away, and the angel sat on the stone. It's a pretty good picture of victory, isn't it? Yes. And we get a picture of what the angel looked like. Lightning, clothes as white as snow. It would have been a very... Stunning sight. It would have been an unforgettable spectacle for these women and, oh, by the way, for, for the guards as well. Because in verse 4 we read that for fear of him, that is the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Right? Those guards, which probably would have been anywhere from 12 to 60, I'm a Roman guard is about anywhere between those two numbers, these strong, big, mighty warriors who knew how to handle themselves and handle their spears and swords and shields, who were scared of nothing, find themselves paralyzed by fear. Actually, they were scared stiff. <laughs> yeah. 
And the angel speaks, not to the Roman guards. Angel doesn't seem very concerned about them, and understandably so. But the angel speaks to the women and says, do, do not be afraid. Literally, it's you, do not be afraid, you. It's emphatic language. It was language that it was used to, to draw their attention and also to calm their understandably troubled souls. But the angel gives commands of do not be afraid and see the place and go quickly and tell his disciples. And the angel says do not be afraid because the women did not have to be afraid. The soldiers did, but the women did not. The angel knew that they were there to to see Jesus, who had been crucified. And he said, but he's not here. And the angel rolled away the stone. And when the angel rolls away the stone, it's not to let Jesus out. It's so that the women could go in and see that he's not there, that the tomb is empty. The angel doesn't have anything to do or say to the guards, but just speaks to the women. And in fact, when you see God sending an angel, as you read his word and you see that taking place in his words, he sends an angel to proclaim his word and to fulfill his purposes. They speak to only those whom God sent them to speak to. You ever notice that? Um, it's, it's personal ministry. It's not crowd ministry. But the angel knew why, why the women were there. Right, and, and angels, right, angels aren't omniscient. They aren't all-knowing. God is. And so for me, that implies that, that God had told this angel, hey, when you get down there, this is what you're going to, this is who's going to be there. And this is what I would like you to say to them. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. They said, he is not here, for he has risen as he said. Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. Toward the end of his ministry, he spent countless times talking to his disciples and saying, hey, I'm heading to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me, but I'm going to raise again on the third day. The disciples knew what was going to happen, and Jesus fulfilled perfectly what was going to happen. All of his predictions came completely true. He's risen. God has risen him, raised him from the dead. Jesus is distinctly separate now from the dead. He's alive. Grave couldn't hold him. He's over death. He's conquered death. He's conquered the grave. And so you need to go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. That's the only res appropriate response to the resurrection 
of Jesus. It's, it's not private and personal. I mean, it is, but it isn't. When you experience the power of the gospel and the resurrected Jesus in your lives, you must go and you must tell. And we'll talk more about that next week when we talk about the Great Commission. But he tells his women, you need to go and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And those disciples, it's not just the 12. The 12 is included in that number in that grouping, but it was those who, who followed Jesus. Those who would later on in their lives proclaim the glories of the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ and pay with it for the, with their lives. And there's another beholds. Right? He is, Jesus is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. He's going to Galilee. And Jesus had told them back in Matthew 26, verse 32, that he would see them in Galilee. This, this is not new information for the disciples. They, they've heard this. This is another example of Jesus being faithful and fulfilling his promises. The angel reassures the women that Jesus is risen, and then he commissions them to go and to tell the tomb is empty, you tell other people about it. Jesus is raised from the dead, you tell other people about it. He's conquered death, you tell other people about it. And you'll notice that the angel has told them at least twice, right, that Jesus is risen. Right? You think the angel's trying to like beat that fact into their heads? Right? Because they're they're like overwhelmed at this moment, trying to process all of this. Right? So it's almost like this, hey, it's true, stay focused. He's not here. The angel finishes with the women by saying, see, or that, that's actually behold. Right? Behold, I've, I've told you. I, I've, I've told you all you need to know. I've shown you all that you need to see. Now you need to act. You have a choice to make. You have a decision. God wants you to go and to go quickly and to tell the <laughs> disciples of Jesus that he is risen from the dead. And so the resurrection of Jesus is supported by the empty tomb that the women saw and that Peter and John would see. The resurrection of Jesus is supported by and attested to the words of the angels sent by God to proclaim the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the women respond, starting in verse 8, Right? They depart quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. You imagine seeing that scene? Right? I, I kind of imagine them like kind of bumping off one another a little bit, trying to be like, you know, point like this way and like running and, and probably talking, right? Like, did you, did you just, as they're running to tell the disciples that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And their, their, their emotional state was one of fear and, and great joy. When, I, when, I, I meet, when the word fear appears there, don't think of like a trembling, quaking fear like the Roman guards. Think about this sense of awe and amazement coupled with great 
joy. As they're trying to wrap their heads around and their minds around what they had just heard and what they had just seen. Two totally acceptable responses to the resurrection of Jesus. Awe and joy. And then we read in verse 9, there's one of those behold words, those attention-getting words that we love. Jesus met them and said, greetings. So as these women are running quickly, processing what they have just seen and what they have just heard, they look over and they see Jesus. And they recognize Jesus. I believe it stopped them dead in their tracks. And he says, greetings, which it's, it's, it's like, hi. <laughs> right? Can you just imagine? And, and, and they respond in the only way appropriate they fall at his feet and they, they worship him. And Jesus says to them, do, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. That do not be afraid is a little bit different than the angels do not be afraid. <coughs> this is words of reassurance for them. It's like a loving pat on the back. Like, just go. Don't be afraid. Just, just go and tell. Tell the good news. He's trying to keep them on task. But it's significant that Jesus calls his disciples brothers. You see, because the relationship has changed. They are disciples, but it runs much deeper now. They're, they're brothers. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's a unity and there's a harmony that Jesus brings to his spiritual family. And it's that he's our brother. We, we talked through this. We went through Hebrews chapter 2. That we are brothers with Christ. And he's not ashamed to call us brother. You think about how the disciples responded when Jesus was arrested. Right? They beat feet and were gone. And Jesus is telling these women, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. I'm going to meet them there. And so the resurrection of Jesus is proven by his appearance to the women and to eventually the other disciples. And this is a, a fascinating account. And then what, what Matthew does, right, is it's, it's almost like so we're fixated on these women Right, And then all of a sudden, the camera pans. And we get to verse 11, and we read, And while they were going, 
beholds. There was something else going on while the women were making their way to the disciples. After they had seen the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord had assured them and showed them the empty tomb and commissioned them. And as they were running, they, they see Jesus and they, they worship him. There's something else happening simultaneously. The guard that had been at the tomb scooted. At some point, we don't know when. I would assume fairly quickly. And they make their way into the city. And they tell the chief priests all that had taken place. Before I go any further, it's going to be helpful for us to go back to Matthew chapter 27. And I need to read verses 62 to 66 for us. Because this sets the context for verses 11 through 15. This will help us. Because what this is going to show us is just the absolute irony of what takes place in verses 11 through 15. It shows us that the depth of depravity and the lies and the deception and the deceit that the religious leaders will go to to try to squash the resurrection. Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the, that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. You've got, you got to hear the sarcasm and snarkiness in that exchange. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he's risen from the dead. And that last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting guards. So the religious leaders go before Pilate on the Sabbath and say, in voice concern over Jesus' words about him rising after, after three days, which, which tells us what? That they're mildly intrigued at, like, what if this might just happen to be true? And they ask Pilate to, to guard the tomb so the <coughs> disciples won't steal the body and then run around saying, hey, he's risen, he's risen, when they've actually stole the body. And it, it was bad enough, right, in the religious leader's eyes that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, but then to be the resurrected Messiah would be far worse. And there's irony here because it's Jesus' enemies who remember that Jesus had foretold his resurrection right, while his disciples right, didn't really connect those dots and didn't believe and understand it. They'd forgotten it. There's irony here because the religious leaders, Jesus' enemies, call him an imposter and a deceiver. There's irony here because in their foolishness, they think that they can control Jesus. And they can control the plans of God. And, and Pilate really wanted nothing to do with them. 
And he had washed his hands once. And that was kind of like, hey, listen, here, here's a guard. Do what you want. You be you. Do what you want to do. So we go back to our text, and we read that while the women are like the women were going to tell what had happened, the guards go and tell what happens to the chief priests. All that had taken place. I'm sure that wasn't a short conversation. As they're trying to explain about this, this earthquake, the second earthquake they experienced in three days, by the way. And, and this, like the stone was now then moved, and then there was this, this white guy with like, like white clothes, looked like lightning, like sitting on the stone. So the chief priests hear this, and they need to do everything possible to prevent the spread of the, the good news of the resurrection of, of Jesus. And so they take counsel together, they conspire together, and they agree to pay off the soldiers. And that word for money is the exact same word that is used when Judas gets 30 pieces of silver from the chief priest to betray Jesus. Don't miss that connection. So they devise this plan. Right? They're going to give these soldiers a substantial amount of money and tell them that this, this is what you need to do. You need to tell people when they ask you that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Um, that is for a Roman guard, for a Roman soldier, um, that is dereliction of duty. Um, that was, in some extreme cases, punishable by their execution. Safe to say that the sum of money was large. If you're going to ask a Roman soldier to admit you failed. And you're a louse. And this, this, the group of religious leaders assure them, hey, listen, if the governor hears about this, we got your back. Um, we'll, we'll make sure you're protected. And so for this, this Roman guard, and it wasn't all of them, because it says some of the guard. So some of them might have just like left town, never to come back again, try to disappear into society. <clears throat> But those that did go and take counsel and conspire with the religious leaders, I think, got an early retirement. And they took the money and they did as they were instructed to do. And, and do, do you notice, right, that the religious leaders try to cover up the resurrection of Jesus Christ by promoting the very story they were trying to stop? Mm -hmm. Why did they set the guard at the tomb? So that the disciples wouldn't come in and steal the body and claim that there is a resurrection. What is he now telling the guard to do? Tell the people you fell asleep and the disciples come in and stole the body. You see the, the, the depth of depravity. And, and these religious leaders throughout the ministry of Jesus had demanded a sign from Jesus. 
And Jesus got frustrated with that to the point where he said, I'm not going to give you any sign but the resurrection. And so now they have that sign right in front of them. The, the, the sign that Jesus had promised them that they would have. And instead of believing it, they tried to destroy it. Like they were so far down the road in this that they could not possibly turn back. But they could, but they chose not to. And Matthew tells us that this story has been spread among the Jews to this, to this day. Now, if we think just at, at one point about, about just the disciples stealing the body, and, and I need to give credit where credit is due, <laughs> um, Alistair Begg unpacks this in an absolutely riveting and hysterical way that I will not do justice to. But if we think about this, you have a group of men who, when Jesus was arrested, ran and hid. But now all of a sudden, they're going to assemble and decide that they're going to sneak in under the cover of darkness past the Roman guards of 12 to maybe 60 men. Big, strong men who know how to fight and handle themselves. And they're going to open the tomb. They're going to take the burial clothes off of Jesus and fold them neatly on the bench in the tomb. And then they're going to remove his body without waking anybody. <laughs> you, you think about the conversations that this Roman guard would have had with people in and around town. <laughs> hey, you were on that guard. You were there, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, we were there. <laughs> and so, like, so you guys all fell asleep. Yeah, yeah, we all fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they came in, and we were, like, out, you know? And they just came in, and they, they took, the disciples took the body. Oh, so, so, you, so you, you all were asleep, and we were all asleep. Well, how do you know the disciples did it? <laughs> it's sad and it's ironical that those Jewish it's ironic that those Jewish leaders um, were causing it's not sad sorry it's good it's ironic though but it's good it's good irony that the Jewish leaders themselves were now causing the story of the resurrection to be put out to all the people. That's the story that they were trying to, to prevent. You don't think God has a sense of humor? He does. The Jesus who they hated and despised and murdered And buried is now a living reality. And all their bribes and all their schemes and all their plans and all their lies could do nothing 
to stop it. If you think about it, the religious leaders have a track record of pretty poor planning. Because what they were trying to do was stop the plan of God, which could never be stopped. And so that's why we, we celebrate this morning. You can't stop it. And so as we think about this this morning, right, and we think about people's ideas and thoughts about the resurrection, right, people, people don't want to believe it because if Jesus is alive, then that means there's profound implications for who he claimed to be and what he actually accomplished on the cross and with his resurrection. And those implications extend to how we then live our lives. And what that means is that Jesus has a claim on our lives. If he's alive and well and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And people don't like that. But I will tell you that Jesus does have a claim on our lives because he is risen. And through the years, there's been all these theories and ideas, right? The, the, the Roman theory was that the body was stolen by the Jews, right? Well, if, if the Jews had stolen the body, why didn't they just produce the body and say, hey, story's over? We talked about the disciples stealing the body. Jesus not really dying when he was on the cross. There's all these theories out there. Matthew doesn't record this just as an interesting story and an amazing story. I believe he records this in the way that he does, and in the detail that he does, to basically tell his readers back then and this morning that it is utterly ridiculous to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the belief in Jesus and belief in the resurrection is a matter of faith. But it, it's not a leap into the dark. There's evidence upon evidence that's powerful and persuasive, and it goes beyond the word of God and the Bible to secular historians as well. There's clear evidence, and so you need to let the evidence speak. But people like to suppress the truth, as Romans, Romans 1 tells us. So the question for us is, right, what do we, what do, we do with this? Right, we celebrate this. Right, this, this is the message of Easter. It's, it's, it's the good news that Christ conquered death. Christ has conquered sin. And because of him, we have a relationship with our gods because of Christ and him alone. He paid our sin debt 
We, we walked through this on Thursday and Friday. Here we celebrate this on Sunday. Those last days of his life. And for the believer, it is a call for us to be in awe and to be filled with a great joy and to go and to tell. For the unbeliever, right, it's a call to not just simply dismiss this as a historical event because it's so much more than that, but to investigate the evidence. And it's a call to make a decision. I see both groups have a decision here this morning. Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ going to change the way that you live your life? Are you going to go and you're going to tell? Or is the resurrection of Jesus Christ going to cause you to pause and wonder and think and examine the evidence and try to understand at a deeper level what actually did really happen and the implications of what happens? And, and either way, it changes your life. It changes your life. Do we respond with awe and action? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer here this morning, if you're listening online at some point, either today or later this week, man, I pray that you just stand in awe. And that awe just propels you out to share the good news and to tell people about your risen Lord and Savior. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, man, I, I want you to ask questions. <coughs> I would love to have a conversation with you. Jeff would love to have a Anyway, you grab somebody and say, can we talk about this? It takes faith to believe. But the Holy Spirit may be stirring in your hearts now and prompting you and prodding you and you may feel drawn and it's my prayer that you would follow through with that and you would ask those questions and that today may be the day of salvation. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. Lord, you are our risen Savior. You conquered sin. You conquered the grave. You stand victorious. You are our Lord and you are our Savior. Lord, may we always stand in awe and have great joy for what you have done for us. Lord, may we be pushed out and propelled out to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with such confidence and such boldness. But if there are those here that, that don't know you, that are searching and that are seeking and wanting to understand, Lord, I pray that they would ask questions and they would not just dismiss things, that they would do the work and they would study and they would seek to understand what truly happened and the implications of what happened on that Sunday 2,000 years ago. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit TwinVillagesChurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.